Well, Brian Montalbano, welcome to the journey. And uh, let me just share just, just a little bit about what the journey is about. And the journey is uh, just a show that really just tries to capture um, just ordinary people's stories about how they may have had either trials or setbacks in their life and, and what they did as they were working through those obstacles, uh, working through uh, those different things that may have happened and what did they learn along the way. Um, in some cases, it may have been how they maybe failed forward or other things may have been how they took some kind of obstacle, regardless if it was mental health or physical health or some kind of change in career, and then how they uh, transformed, uh, took, that, took that situation, and then actually it was a transform, transformational experience. So uh, I know that you have uh, had, had a pretty interesting journey, actually going way back to your childhood. So, uh, so yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing, hearing it firsthand. I've heard it heard it through your brother, but I haven't heard uh, your particular story from you. So, uh, but before we get started, uh, why don't we go ahead and start off with, um, as you tell us a little bit about yourself, but what do you, what does, what does Brian do for fun? If you have an opportunity for fun, what do you do for fun? Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I'm definitely looking forward to, to having this conversation. Yeah, I think from, you know, outside of definitely enjoying spending time with my wife and, and kids, we have two kids now. Um, my, my main hobby is I like to golf golf as much as possible. It doesn't always turn into better scores, but that's really my main hobby in the summer. You know, we lived in the South for 15, 16 years. So, you know, getting away from Illinois a little bit and being able to play in a more regular basis definitely helped improve kind of the love of the game. So sure. anything like that. And I also like just being, you know, as active as possible, um, trying to get outside, do some things where you can, um, and then kind of juggling that with work is, is, is kind of my, my pleasures in life. Okay. And you're, and you're originally from Illinois, from the, from the Rockford area, right? Yep. Grew up in Rockford and I lived there until I was 22. And then I started kind of my journey through, through work, kind of moving around four or five different states until 2019 when we ended up moving back to Chicago. Okay. So it's, that's, so that's, yeah, a little bit coming up on maybe two years, but really yep. like a year and a half or so that you've been back up into the, in, into this area, getting ready for another uh, seasonal change as, as it's happening. Yeah, we moved, uh, we moved in like a week before like the polar vortex. So I had, um, I'd kind of forgot what the cold was like. And then I got acquainted to it very quickly that second week we were up here in Illinois with the negative 50 degree weather. So yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that when well, this case, instead of a baptism by fire, it was a baptism yeah. by, uh, by, by freezing. So, uh, yeah, yeah. so, uh, so now, uh, uh, you, you guys grew up, grew up and actually graduated from Harlem, right? Yep. Graduated from Harlem. I was a class in 1999. Okay. And then um, were you involved with activities active, you know, what kind of extra things do you do just besides, uh, uh, you know, obviously the school stuff, but any extracurricular activities at all? Yeah, I volunteer with Make-A-Wish uh, a lot and I continue to volunteer with them now. I was uh, fairly active with the uh, American Heart Association in the local chapter there in Rockford. And then, uh, you know, I didn't play sports in high school, but I did play sports kind of baseball and um and basketball up until I was like 15 out, outside of the school, uh, just in some stuff that, that they offered around the city. So pretty active and stuff like that. And that's kind of like the main things that, that I consumed most of my time from, a, from an outside of school activity. Gotcha. Okay. And I know as, as you kind of uh, had, as you you know, had shared my, shared some stories. So Tony had shared um, some stories with Tony, your, your brother, that early on in your life, you had already had, you know, a series of some setbacks. 
And maybe why, why don't you kind of maybe just jump into that? And I know that plays a part in to make a wish and, and being involved with the Heart Association. So kind of why don't you kind of just jump in and tell us a little bit about um, how that came about. And I know you were young when that first first emerged. Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, yeah, when I was nine years old, I developed uh, at the time we didn't know what it was, but I wasn't feeling well. And I ended up developing cardiomyopathy, which is an enlargement of the, the heart muscle. Developed that around June, June of 1990. I was, uh, I remember I was playing baseball. Breath, and this was before we knew anything was going on. Um, so I, you know, my coach, coach yelled at me, uh, yelled at me for not making it to the base. A couple days later, I was, you know, I was home and just telling my mom that my heart felt like it was beating really fast. And just, I was just sitting there not doing anything. So we got it checked out and that was in, in June. And my, uh, you know, back then there wasn't a lot of research around, like you can get today, get on the internet, really find out what's going on. So went to one of the local hospitals in town in Rockford and kind of figured out what was going on. Identified that I did have uh, cardiomyopathy, which is the enlargement of that muscle in your heart. And then I vastly deteriorated extremely quickly mm. from June to, to um, October of 1990. And actually, in October of 1990, I ended up having a first heart, one of my first heart transplants in October 20th of 1990 at Loyola University of Chicago. So very fortunate in, uh, to be able to find a donor match as quickly as I did. But also it kind of came out of nowhere. I was a young, health, healthy kid, very active, really no issues, never really even sick. Can't even remember getting, ever being sick as a kid mm -hmm. to go to one extreme to the other where all of a sudden now you're having to deal with kind of life and death events as a nine-year-old is looking back at it now, it's been 30 years since, you know, since that time, it's, it's a long time kind of living with, you know, with, with being a transplant patient. Yeah. So, so yeah, just, yeah, obviously, you know, just, I've got a ton of questions about that, but mm -hmm. from the best of your, your memory recall, what, what was, you know, outside of, you know, that one baseball game and, and couldn't make it to the base and getting yelled at by the coach, which is a pretty typical thing because the, yep. you know, the default is it must be effort, right? <laughs> you yep. know, and, yep. um, and then clearly it wasn't effort. It was literally your body wasn't getting, getting the oxygen, wasn't, wasn't able to, you know, allow your, your, yourself to function the way it's normal. What, what do you recall during that time period as a, as a nine-year-old uh, of what was happening? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? What do you yeah, think? I think, uh, I think there's good and bad things. I mean, it's, you never want a kid to get sick, but I think, you know, being 39 now and looking back at myself at nine, there was a naiveness to what was going on. I definitely knew I was sick because I could tell how transplant that you know there were there were some struggles there for me so um, being fortunate to get that was was really what was on my mind I never never had any doubts that I would be able to actually get the heart and I was just very fortunate that I that I was able to because I think that was probably a little naive of me at nine thinking that it would just happen because that's not definitely not how it works and even though in some ways, uh, and I think we cut we cut out just a little bit there but okay. but in, in some way it, it, it did happen 
you know, quicker than it happens in most cases, right? So that was just the circumstance at the time? I got really sick. They, you know, I almost couldn't get on the transplant list and they, they do a thing they call work you up. So the day before my transplant, I finally made passed all the tests that kind of gave me medical clearance to, to get on the list. And if I wouldn't have had my transplant that next day, the doctors had told my parents I wouldn't have made it. And then once I was on the list, I was on the transplant list for nine hours and they ended up finding a match. And that's an extremely short amount of time because normally you're waiting months to years. Right. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, when, uh, when I got listed, a heart became available, I ended up being a good match. And, uh, you know, that, that heart lasted me for 20 amazing years and was one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life. I wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you if it wasn't for that first, you know, person that donated that organ to me and allowed me to, to, you know, to live with it for as long as I was able to. So, so yeah. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about that from a, from an aspect of, so so for what was it like for the next 20 years, you know, and then obviously there's going to be some stuff, a story there that, you know, you had to go through that, but, you know, so now you're recovering from that first transplant and, you know, and, and obviously there's an element of, you know, you're nine years old, never been sick. Now all of a sudden this huge thing happens um, yep. and, and pretty close to a near, you know, near death experience. Right. Um, what was life like that during those late grade school years, middle school, high school years? What was, what was that like? Was it just a, a blip in the screen or was, what kind of impact did it have on you? Yeah, my parents did a really good job of making things as normal as possible for me. And then since I, you know, I really didn't have any issues with that first heartfelt hand for a hand. that age group to be able to do. And even um, I had some, I had a few setbacks, which we can get into with that, with that first heart. But one of the things that um, always worked for me was the ability to kind of just act like a normal kid or adult at the time. So I never really treated myself as differently other than the medication that I have to take to, you know, ensure that I stay alive. But I approach life that I'm just like another, another person, another guy, another kid. Um, and I talked about it through make a wish. So, um, so it's a, it's a good thing to notice that, you know, you know, people can live normal lives, but they still have underlying conditions that might be affecting them day to day. Right. So I think we, we've cut out a couple of times, oh, okay. right? Just, I don't know if, if, I may have to have you repeat a couple things. You okay, know. that's fine. Uh, yeah. So, um, so you were just you were just talking about there was some, there was some complications that happened, and in uh, in your your take on it was I'll take my medications and I'm supposed to, and but I'm going to try to do life as as much as I can ordinary you know be an ordinary kid as much as possible. And you you said your parents really you know, try to, try to foster that. They didn't try to, you know, kid glove you or anything like right. that. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, like I said, I, I got, came home that, that winter. Remember my mom tells this story now to this day. It's like, you know, I wanted to go sledding down this hill that we lived on mm-hmm. and she was a little nervous and then she let me go down. And then ever since then it was kind of like, well, he is, he's a nine-year-old. He needs to act like it too. Because I think 
you want to protect your kids because being a father now, I definitely, you know, that feeling, but you also want to be able to take advantage of that gift of organ donation and actually live the life that you've been granted. And my parents did a really good job of emphasizing that in me. And I think that's kind of helped carry me through, you know, these, these 30 years through, through my transplants and anything that I've gone through that yeah, you're going to deal with some adversity. You're going to have some things that could be troublesome, but if you can kind of approach that, go into the next day and do the best that you can, that can definitely help you and your endeavors as you move forward. And that's how I've kind of approached everything in my life, you know, since, you know, since my transplant, I think I'm a different person because of that. I have a very different perspective on things than I think a lot of people do. Um, but I think it's important that you stay as grounded as possible as a kid and, you know, with your family support, I think is extremely key as well. Sure. And when you, <clears throat> And obviously, as an adult, there may have been more things that um, uh, more things that may have happened. Sorry about that. Um, there may have been some uh, some more things as an adult that you may have may have come up, right? Sorry about that. Okay. Must be getting close to election time. Yeah, must be. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so. Uh, as you were, but as a teenager, you know, middle school and teenager during those first couple of years, uh, because most people don't have any experience with either knowing someone, you know, who's been a transplant, especially that young. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the things that as a middle schooler, even though you're trying to do normal, you're trying to just be a normal kid, what were, what are some of the, some of the setbacks that you experienced um, during that time period, even though you were trying to, and with the help of your family, yeah. trying to, trying to work through. Yeah. So right after my transplant, I, I was, a, I was tutored at home for a few months. And I think one of the things that my school and my parents worked really well with was to kind of keep me in the same grade. So I never really fell behind. Even when I was sick, I had a tutor if I couldn't go to school. So keeping that continuity with my classmates was key because you had your same friend base and you didn't have to move or shift a grade. And then having that foundation when I eventually went back to school, which was, I think, February, March of that 1991, allowed them to kind of go through the journey with me to a certain degree. So I was Brian before and I was Brian after. And I just happened to have, you know, a, a different person's heart in my body, which is a little different, you know, in 1990 than it is today. But that support group definitely helped me. Um, and then, you know, as I grew up, you know, I just kind of grew into the fact that you know, I, I'm, I live with, um, I'm a transplant recipient. I live with some restrictions that, you know, I take medicine. I'm more susceptible to illness. So, you know, you're, you're washing your hands constantly. You're trying to stay away from, you know, huge crowded areas. And I was very, you know, mindful of that as a kid. And then in 1994, 95, I ended up having like a very severe rejection episode with my heart. I got really sick again. My body attacked it completely out of the blue. Um, and that, that led me to the point where we were already talking, you know, four or five years after that first transplant, do you need like a second one? Now I was very fortunate at the time that
Are you there? Yep. Yeah, I think I think we'll be able to just edit that down. Okay. So we, yeah, I don't know what happened there. Yeah, I haven't we'll, I haven't internet internet issues all day, so hopefully it's not. And maybe who knows? Maybe there's a change in uh, uh, usage around you now. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry about that. No problem. You were just talking about that. You were very fortunate. Um, you you got you had gotten just gotten a kind of like uh, four or five years after your body started attacking, and you were saying you were very, but you were very fortunate. And then I didn't hear anymore. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, I was fortunate that uh, the hospital tried this procedure called plasmapheresis, and it's recycling your antibodies out of your body to kind of try to prevent the attacking from happening. And back then in 1990, it was very experimental and it actually reversed my um, rejection. And that's a, that was a key thing for me because, you know, after that happened, it allowed me to, to live on and press on. I didn't, you know, it happened in the summer, so I didn't really miss any school. And I just went right into junior high right after that. So during that time though, I think, you know, looking back at it, you know, I, I took a lot of prednisone, my face got really puffed up. You know, I, I gained a decent amount of weight and at 13, 14 years old, that's a little hard to deal with, it's hard to deal with at any point. So going back into a new school, because I went from a private school to a public school during that transition and, and building new friends and meeting new people, and that was definitely a little bit of a, a little bit of a struggle, but um, I adapted quickly and, you know, I have, still have friends today, you know, from, from high school that I talk to on a, on a frequent basis. So, um, and, you know, a lot of people at school wouldn't know that I had a transplant unless I talked about it, but I did try to talk about it as much as possible because, organ donation is extremely important to me and, and, and getting that out and getting that message out right. is extremely important as well. So, so with that, I mean, you're young, right? You're, 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 you're a young person. This has happened now. It sounds like you're beginning high school, you know, years or whatever. And even at that time period, you, you talked about, you, it sounds like you were talking about the idea that being a transplant recipient is actually uh, about, like being special, being, it was a gift. It was a, it was, it was, it was like an honor. Yep. And, and so what, how do you think, where did that message come from? I mean, usually mo most, most individuals that are teenagers and they go through some of the things, just what you've just talked about already, um, those out of the blue things and, and obviously life, you know, stopping things, they don't necessarily have the perspective of, um, this is a gift. It's more of why is this happening to me? Yeah, I think, um, can you hear me okay? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, I, I've always taken the approach that, um, life is precious and, and to be around and experience the day is, is, is a gift. There is a, there is a little bit of arrogance that, that tends to creep in when you've gone through something and come out on the other end where you shouldn't have, shouldn't have made it. I think that's just inherent human nature. You know, you get a little puffed up and you get a little full of yourself sometimes and you think you're invincible. But uh, overall, um, you know, uh, the, I mainly think back of my donor and their families and, you know, the, the sacrifice that they had to go through and the choices that they went through to, to not one, not only sign the donor card, but then to go through and say, okay, I'm okay donating. And so any, any arrogance or any confidence that comes in with anything that I've been through, I just always try to ground myself with, with that thought that, you know, I'm here today because somebody lost somebody and I don't take that lightly. So I try to live every day to the best that I can. And I'm really living for, for them because without them and, um, you know, I've had, I've had two transplants now and it's, you know, I had one after my second one was after 20 years, but 
you know, I, I wouldn't be here talking today. I can't do anything. I wouldn't have a family today without both of those donors. And um, I try to live every day with that mindset and try to approach every day like that. Every day is a gift. You know, I shouldn't take it for granted, but I try to stay humbled in the fact that, you know, I'm here because of a donation, because of a gift, because of somebody, somebody's loss is the reason I'm here. And it shouldn't be something that, you know, gets me, gets my head puffed up or anything like that. And I really try to promote that atmosphere. You know, when people, especially early on, think about organ donation, they're like, well, can you do that? How long are you going to live? I get that question a lot. When are you going to need your next one? It's like, well, I'm trying to enjoy the life that I have now and the gift that I have. And I do everything to the best that I can, take my medications, work out, eat, eat healthy, live healthy. You know, hopefully this second one lasts me longer than the first and, you know, we'll address that when we have to. But I think that's my mindset around that is, you know, I don't want to do a disservice to those families without, and I feel like I would if, if I approached things differently. Sure. So, so that, that's been, even from an early age, that was some of the motivation that maybe when normally you, a person wouldn't feel like, you know, regardless if it was eating or working out or taking your medication or whatever, um, part of it is, is this idea that, you know, you are now part of something bigger and, yeah. and, and, you know, that, that element of it. Let, let me, well, what, let's kind of touch base about, so you, um, how long ago did you meet your wife? When did you... We met, so I had my second transplant in 2011 in okay. January, and then I met her in August. So I met her eight, eight months after that second transplant. And when I met her, she didn't even really know I had one or two transplants. So that's how okay. just it shows the normalcy of, of transplant life when you really boil it down. So. Sure, sure. So, so, she, so she hasn't experienced, gone through an experience with you regarding the transplant piece of it. Correct. And, okay. Um, well, let's not jump too far ahead and I'll back up. <laughs> so, so, and again, I, I apologize for not knowing, you know, but you, you alluded to that people uh, asked the question about how long does, if you get a, a, an organ transplant, there's a mm -hmm. certain type of shelf life. Mm -hmm. is, is that a normal, there's a certain, you know, certain amount of years that you would get on a by getting a heart so early on at nine years old, was it, was there an expectation that it was only going to possibly last so long? Yeah. When, after my first transplant, you know, they really talked about the five year mark, really trying to get past that five years and then you're quote unquote more stable. But um, you know, back then and even more, more so now younger people are, are getting, getting kind of that the, the donation gift and getting a chance to kind of experience that. But when I was originally transplanted, a lot of the transplants were, you know, people that were older in age, they didn't really have a good baseline of how, like what the real longevity can be. And each organ's going to differ. Mm -hmm. You know, hearts are going to differ from lungs, from kidneys, from livers, etc. So there's, I think there's statistics out there for every different organ. I know with my first one lasting 20 years, I consider that a blessing. I'm t almost 10 years in with this second one. I haven't had a single issue with it. Um, and I consider that a blessing as well. Yeah, I think there's, you know, anytime there's something different or new or people don't understand, they're going to ask questions. You know, do you, and, and that's completely fine. I'd rather, I'd rather them see me and see normalcy to understand that, you know, if they're ever in a position where they need a transplant or know somebody about that, they can look back at their experience with me and say, okay, well, that gentleman has been able to do live a life to his fullest, done everything that he's wanted to, married, has kids, has a career, traveled, no limitations. So, 
organ don donation is a positive thing. And that's really what I try to promote like day in and day out, because it's, it's really important to me that people aren't afraid of it. And it's, and that people are aware of that. Yeah. It's fortunate that somebody passes, but if there's a, if there's a benefit on the other side to somebody else, if they're willing to sign up, that's something that, you know, I actively try to try to promote. Right. Okay. And, and so with the, you, so you get the second heart transplant, you, eight months later, you, you meet your wife mm -hmm. and, and, and so tell us a little bit about that, that part of your journey, that aspect of your, so that would have made, you would have been, you're 30, 31 years old or so, right? Yeah, it was right around, yeah, right around 30 when I met her. So, okay. um, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. So I, you know, when I was in my late twenties, I didn't really date a lot because, you know, I knew eventually I was going to need, you know, a second transplant and, you know, it's, 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 I understand being, you know, chronic, I'll call myself chronically ill because I do have some some, some illness that comes with, with, um, with my transplant, but it's a, it's definitely a different lifestyle to live through. There's hospital stays, there's blood work, there's biopsies, there's a yearly checkup, you know, there's anything that could go wrong at any time. Um, so, you know, before I met my wife though, I really wasn't looking to ever get married, have a family, et cetera. But then, you know, I met her, you know, it just kind of happened how I kind of envisioned it's supposed to happen. You just meet and then, you know, and that's how it really worked for us. And I've, she's been extremely supportive and there's been some scary times with, with things that have gone on, but just adapting to the fact that, you know, your husband has to take medicine twice a day to keep himself alive. And, you know, this is more susceptible to disease or anything like that is, is a scary um, premonition, but Uh, very well. So we, we lost a little bit there. Okay. So, <laughs> so you, uh, ju you just referring to uh, uh, with your wife, having her come on, you were just making that transition of didn't think, you know, you're ever going to get married, you met, but with it, there's been some things that have, um, um, there, you know, you have to take medication twice, a, twice a day to stay alive. There may be some susceptibility to some illnesses. There may be hospital stays. And that's kind of where we, where, oh, we yeah. where we cut off there. Yeah. So, so once a year I have to go in for an annual checkup and they make sure I don't have any blockages. They make sure the heart's fine. I mean that, you know, ideally those are all going to go fine, but they could go, could go poorly. So, you know, it's like you're living your life kind of on a, on a calendar year checkup type deal. So, Sure. You know, you do everything you can. You take your medication, and and you and you and you eat healthy, and you exercise, and especially with hearts, you can develop coronary artery disease relatively easily with um, the medications you're on and um, different things like that. And that's what happened with my first heart, and led to my second. I developed after that rejection episode. I developed some coronary artery disease, and I got blockages, and had to have. So, so we just just lost you again. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. So, so um, coronary heart disease, 
led with the first heart and that mm-hmm. that led um uh, because of the medications that that led to some complications um Correct. and so you were you're basically talking about that there there was an added element of making sure that you do that self-care and and keep your motivation up regarding that piece and um so so the just what i'm hearing you say is that in the midst in your wife's first name heather heather and so when when you and heather came together maybe this is the piece that maybe all of us can learn from right is that mm. be, because of recognizing there is a uh, for all of us a fragility to life mm-hmm. um and so it, it's really about how to how to do self-care to not take life for granted right yep because you guys were young when you got together Mm-hmm. And um, so it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we got guaranteed the next 60 years ahead of ourselves. So I can be upset if you put the toilet paper on the wrong way. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah. so, so tell me, t- tell us a little bit about how, how have you and Heather uh, been able to kind of stay grounded with the importance of being in the present and, and appreciating everything that you guys have right now? Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> not, not a problem. We'll 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 keep we'll keep going. If 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 we do need to maybe set a different time to re-record, we can we can do okay. that too. Okay. Uh, so uh, so I I just just was mentioning that um, what for you and Heather, what are some things that you guys have been able to do to kind of you know that that appreciation of being able to uh, not let the the normal little things, you know, uh, distract you off the appreciation of growing together, but also still have that normalcy, you know, the, the little things like, uh, Hey, you put, you know, Brian, you put the, you put the toilet paper on the wrong way. And, yeah. and that end up being, you know, like, you know, we'll go off and pout in our corner because yeah. you know, my feelings were hurt. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She does a good job of keeping me pretty grounded. And, you know, we, we still have those nuances of a married couple where, those little things that I think we annoy each other at on a daily basis. But, you know, I think we're, we're very fortunate that we've, we've built a foundation of good communication and trust. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's, that's really the foundation of our relationship. We communicate about it as much as we can, as often as we can. Mm-hmm. And, and getting that out, stuff out in the open and, and being transparent with one another is extremely important to me and extremely important to her, because like I said, anything could happen at any day and we really don't want to go past a day without being honest and upfront with one another. And I think that's for the health of our marriage. It doesn't mean that there's not struggles, you know, there's daily stresses that come in and doesn't mean that everything goes perfect all the time, but it definitely helps us kind of keep grounded in the fact that we're 
two young adults with two kids and two dogs and we live in the suburbs and you know we, we're trying to try to grow our family and enjoy our life and that's really that's really a foundation of everything and the transplant stuff is important it's definitely a part of my life but we we try to live life as normal as we can we definitely want it for our kids too so they're going to know about the health stuff they're going to understand that but you know i don't i don't want my kids to grow up and always think well my dad, my dad was limited or he, he could be limited. I want them to experience life to the fullest. And then, you know, if something happens in my health down the road, we'll address that just like I have in, in other things past. I, you know, her and I try to address every day is, you know, we're going to take. Well, you kind of have to maybe rest a little bit mm -hmm. and uh, we've, we've done that pretty well. Right. Well, I know this year in itself has been a big year. I mean, in, on multiple fronts, right? And so, yep. you know, you just had a baby not, mm -hmm. not, not too long ago. So this yep. is baby number two. Uh, your, your your oldest son, his name is? His name is Leo, and he'll be three in December. Okay, so Leo's, Leo's almost three, and then you just had a baby boy, right? Yeah, two weeks ago, and his name's Ethan. Ethan. Okay. And so, so in the midst of 2020, you know, Heather has, has a child, but early on in her pregnancy, this whole thing called COVID comes in. Mm -hmm. And so to tell us as a, as a transplant recipient, uh, 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 you know, a, a husband and father to be number two. Mm. And then I'm guessing like most of us, you get, you know, if you were working outside of the house, you now are working from home, right? Correct. Yep. So, so tell, how did you navigate, you know, navigate through all the, the fear back in, you know, February, March, and April, mm -hmm. not knowing anything about Corona. Now we're in, you know, almost November. Uh, yeah. Tell us how you navigated through that, let alone your, your wife's, you know, all those things. So how did you navigate through all that? Yeah. So uh, work, the one thing, the one thing that I will say is work's been extremely supportive about my, my, my transplant situation. So early on in March, I had talked to my transplant team and we had started talking about, you know, me possibly working remote to try to stay a little more safe because, you know, as little as we know now, we even knew less back then. So um, had worked out a scenario where I could start working from home. The funny thing is like a week later, everybody started working from home. Um, <laughs> but that's, but that's the one thing that I think it has helped. It's, it's allowed, allowed me from a health standpoint to kind of limit my exposure to what I choose I'm comfortable with. So that's one good thing. aspect that we spend so much time together now um, and get that quality time that you know you, you wouldn't get because you'd be at work later you'd be traveling back and forth like I said the lunch breaks are great because I spend lunch with them every day and it's just a great hour especially with my son you know getting to enjoy enjoy him and then with our newborn too and helping helping Heather kind of balance that piece out. Okay. Um, I, I know we might have lost a little bit in there you were talking about how your work was worked great with you. So you could work from home and then you could choose on what you might expose yourself to. And then, and then we picked up on um, the fact that you've built in some of the benefits of working from home is that your lunch break can be with one of your, you know, one of your favorite people's, you know, yep. Leo. Yep. Um, and so that's worked out. I don't, I don't know if we, we missed some things in between that. Um, 
Yeah, the main thing is just a little more time with family. So I definitely yeah. don't get the commute back and forth to work. And then, you know, the, the family time has been great. I think at the beginning, there's an added stress to, you know, just being around each other 24-7. But I think we navigated that really quickly those first couple of weeks. And, you know, you know, I need to take breaks at times. She needs to take breaks at times. And how do we, how do we kind of split up our days? But the benefit that came out of COVID was kind of us always being around each other as a family. And that is, that has been a blessing to me because I do work a lot, but it's also good now that I get a lot of more quality time with my wife and my, both my sons. So it's, there's added benefit to the stresses that come with the, with the world and the conditions that we live in today. Sure. Sure. And, and I, and I know, cause I follow you on some social media, you, you in the midst of everything of this year, you had a scare um, with a, was it a cancer scare? It was. Yeah. So um, when was it? It was June. I had a little bit of a stomach ache. I uh, just thought it was the middle of the day. I thought I ate something wrong. So I laid down on my lunch break at work um, from work. So I laid down and I took a deep breath in and I felt a wheeze in the back lower part of my lung. And I was like, well, that seems weird. I don't think I've ever wheezed in my life. So I took a, took a hot shower to see if I was like congested or anything, you know, in the, in, in the midst of COVID. So I didn't know if I had caught anything randomly being out and one thing that I will say, I'm very in tune with my body and it was different. And even though it was a little wheeze, I like immediately got it checked out. So went to the ER, had an x-ray. They found a mass on my lung, um, that lower right lung. And then they ended up doing a CAT scan. Um, and the funny thing was the, the feedback from the team there was, you know, it's probably nothing. Don't really worry about it. Get checked up in six months. Well, it didn't really sit well with me because I could feel it when I breathed in. And I was like, even if it's nothing, I don't really want to have this in my body. So I ended up uh, following up again, you know, suggested that they did a biopsy. They got that done. I think they said it was 99.6% sure that it wouldn't come back cancerous. And then of course it does. And then on top of it, it's like the rarest form of cancer that you can get because normally with the kind of cancer that, cancer that I had, it starts in another part of the body and then travels to the lungs. And this one just spun up in the lungs on its own. So the whole situation was kind of unique. So I think I just, just lost you for a second. You were, okay. you were, you were just saying, uh, it, they just found out that 99.6% of the time, you know, it's either not, it wasn't going to be cancer or in the type of cancer that you had usually ends up in your lungs, but they actually, it started there. Correct. And, and then we didn't hear anything after that. Yes. Yeah. So, so, you know, going from the time I had the first checkup in the ER to the time I got this diagnosis was like 30 days. So I went 30 days thinking that it was a benign tumor mm-hmm. and then getting the call. back yep you uh after 30 days of thinking it was a benign tumor you got the result and then that's where we kind of stopped yep. yeah so 30 days thought it was a benign tumor got the results and then i knew i knew it was bad news because the doctor called me a day early and they don't tend to call you a day early unless it's bad news and 
found out was cancerous and I was working with a local hospital here and I decided to call the University of Chicago where I had my second transplant at and you know, met with the team the next week and three weeks later, you know, I had surgery and now I'm completely cancer free. So um, very fortunate, caught it early. I, I think the message there here is, you know, if you think something's different from your body, try to address it as soon as you can. You know, I could have let it go, could have spread, it didn't spread. Very fortunate that one, the tumor grew to the size that I could feel. Day before I had the wheeze, I was outside working in the yard. I ran a couple miles, very asymptomatic. And all I felt was, was that wheeze that one time and it's got it checked out. So in the world of COVID, you know, thinking it might be that, got COVID tested, was relieved it was, wasn't COVID. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, you got a tumor in your lungs and then it turns into cancer. It's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy 90 day period for me given everything that I've been through now, you know, adding a transplant recipient twice to being a cancer survivor is, is, is kind of a, kind of a crazy journey, especially this year. Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely say so, you know, and I think, I, I think that piece of it is uh, maybe, maybe goes without saying when, when, when you have gone through some of the health issues that you have, not only double transplant and, all the different complications, as well as just the normal things, you know, you're going to, I would, I would assume you're going to be hypersensitive to like, hyper aware, I should say, mm -hmm. hyper aware of your, of, of your body. Right. And I think the more that you spend, you know, with the exercising with, you know, what foods, you know, do I, you know, work well for me, what foods don't work well with me, all those types of, th all that aspect of it allows your awareness of, okay, this doesn't feel right. Yep. Now, and, and so I know, you know, I know we can go, sometimes people can become overly anxious, especially right now, mm. you know, um, with, with, with COVID, you know, the, and there's so much concern about COVID that we forgot about seasonal allergies. We forgot about that people still could get a cold, mm -hmm. let alone flu or, you know, whatever may be going on as well. But it's probably better to get it checked out and rule it out than, just try to wish it away and then it ends up being a bigger problem. Yeah. Cause from the time I got it checked out to the time they did the surgery, it actually started to grow. It didn't like move out of my lung cavity at all or out of that lobe. I had ended up having a lobectomy and they took the whole lobe out, but it didn't spread anywhere else, but it definitely grew in size. It didn't, it didn't show the tumor. And then when I went in June, when I had the wheeze, it was there. So it grew three to four centimeters in six months. So it was an aggressive, it was aggressive form of cancer that just kind of spun up out of nowhere. Um, yeah. And I think the message, like I said before, and you just reiterated is if you feel like something's different, the last thing you want to do is kind of wait on it. I mean, you don't want to go if you got a sniffle and get, you know, run to the doctor if you don't have to, but you want to make sure that if it is different and you know your body, you're in tune to your body, you don't let it go too long and get it addressed right away. So you make sure you can kind of, uh, kind of try to avoid
I think you you were just finishing up that that part of the message about that if you if you do feel something and sense something in your body that's a little bit out of the ordinary that it's it's important to make sure that you address that. Um, and again, worst case scenario, you get something ruled out. But I think another element that I heard you say in this particular case was that it was something that you had never experienced before. Right. And there's a lot of things that you would experience. So that was on your radar screen. And two, you had to advocate for yourself um, with, with even the medical team because they were minimizing it. Correct. Yeah, they were like, you know, this could be anything. Just come back in six months. Don't worry about it. And it's just I had to I had to just kind of run with it and do do it on my own and figure out that I took you got to take your health in your own hands and, and deal with it that way. Right. And, and, and again, I, I think there is an element like in your case for, for you didn't, you, you didn't use this terminology, but for a lack of better words, you just got a second opinion. Yep. And, yep. and, you know, if, if you would have gotten the second opinion, they would have run some tests and it would have been the same, same to recheck in six months, you might've been able to live with that. Yep. Uh, you know, but, yep. um, but in this particular case, uh, what I'm hearing you say is that if it's something completely that you've never experienced before, is it not going away after, you know, a few days, check it out and, and just make sure you're an advocate for yourself. Correct. I think you have to take your, your own health into your own hands. I've kind of learned that throughout my life. Nobody's going to know how you feel better than you do. And if something's different and you feel like it's different, make sure you get that out there and make sure people know why you feel it's different and don't, don't let people dismiss you. That's mm -hmm. a big, that's a big thing for me because nobody knows, nobody knows you like, you know, Yeah. And I agree with you that the idea that no one's going to know us, know our body, know our experience and what we're experiencing like ourselves. So, um, you know, I, and I, you know, again, it's, we may not need to go and get a fourth and fifth opinion to, you know, yeah. to get, but, uh, but at least advocate for ourselves to get that second opinion. Um, so I, I was just recently talking with your brother and he said, and I don't know exactly when he said that you came upon this, but he said you came upon, I, and I, I could be getting it wrong. So Tony, I apologize, but he said you came across a, uh, uh, an exercise app that has to do with um, trans, it, it, the, it's unique to uh, individuals that um, in the community of transplant recipients. Yeah. So it, it's a little different than that, but I, I joined the, um, there's a, the Peloton app because I don't have a bike, but I have the app. Okay. But there's hashtags in the, in that community. Okay. And there's a, there's a donut donate life hashtag where you can follow transplant recipients. There's a heart transplant hashtag the cancer survivor hashtag. And what, what we, what I've been able to do is I'm very active on social media through Twitter. A handful of people that have the Peloton or have the app and we've done workouts together now and send motivational messages to each other that, Hey, you know, I ran in the morning. Are you going to run in the afternoon? And we've been able to build kind of a community practice there. And then we share, you know, how we're doing on a daily basis. And it's, it's good motivation, I think, for us and then for everybody else to see us active, you know, working together as a larger transplant uh, group. 
Well, you know, I think right now, especially, you know, where, where people are for good reason, you know, limited and, and as far as going to a normal gym or the normal routine of working out, we got this heaviness that's happening overall because of all the things going on economically, um, you know, the, the different different aspects of COVID and, and how that's restricting things. So I think that that is a great tool in which we can stay connected with people, but then also in that connection, use it for motivation, use it for accountability, maybe some inspiration and, yep. and ideas about changing things up for doing home workouts. Yeah. Cause there's been times I haven't wanted to run at night or in the morning. And then my buddy will tweet me that he, you know, he got his run and it'll motivate me to get out there and do it. So I think everybody can use that, especially now, since a lot of people are home, getting out and being active is important. So any type of motivation you can, you can find, I think you should hone in on. And what I found out with the, with the broader transplant community is, you know, we try to, we try to really work together. There's a lot of people active on social media, especially Twitter, trying to, you know, tie people together and train people have the right information, especially during COVID. But we also share the good stuff, like how families are doing, how you can live, you know, normal lives. We, all, we share some of the, the medicine stories and stuff we have to go through as well. We just got cut off there. Was, yep. So that um, with uh, you were just talking about some of the benefits of the app, but you were finishing up where you may even be able to hear about different ideas regarding treatment or medicine or you know things like your 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 story about self awareness and advocating for yourself. What one of the one of the last questions I wanted to throw out to you, just because I was curious, and and this is probably more of probably maybe that that social emotional that spiritual component aspect of it. I've, I've seen and heard different stories regarding, you know, like uh, different connections, like a, like a, like a, uh, from an aspect of as a heart plant uh, or, or a transplant recipient, uh, sensing that a, a connection not only to the per, to the to the family that that allowed this to have, but then sometimes even to the person in that story. Um, any, any of your, any, any experiences that you had regarding that aspect of it or, or even the connection, maybe even with the transplant, uh, the family from the transplant family? Yeah, so I've reached out to both, both families from both hearts. Uh, the first one we heard back from didn't really want to contact too much. The second one we reached out to didn't hear anything back. I think I haven't had that, like, I feel like the other person type, type mm -hmm. deal, but I do I kind of going back to what I had mentioned earlier, I do feel an obligation to those families to continue to move forward. And You were just sharing about the the part about uh, the obligation of, 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 of obligation to the family uh, about moving forward. 
yeah, like I said at the beginning, I, I think I have an obligation to that to that family that lost a loved one to to live my life to the fullest and to move forward to the best of my ability and not take any day for granted and live my day fully. And that's and that's really what I focus on. I don't I don't really feel that connection to like the actual person outside of anything other than I'm here because of them. But mm-hmm. I, I do try to live a life that I, I want to make them proud that that their fan, their their family member is kind of living on through me now, and that you know I don't want to do anything that would kind of disappoint them. So that's that's ingrained in me, and that's something that I've lived with for the last uh, thirty years, and I try to strive to be a better person every day because of it. Absolutely. So so you know, uh, Brian, I'm gonna. I, I think this particular just the difficulties that we've had in taping this tonight mm. is 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 in some ways uh, kind of uh, symbolic of of the journey of your life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. And and I have to give you a ton of credit because in the in the midst of of this, and I know it's sometimes nerve wracking even doing these types of talks. Um, the 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 internet hasn't been hasn't been our friend today yeah and we've gone in and out but you have each time you come back you've been calm and cool and i haven't seen one <laughs> one one blip so i i give you a ton of credit for practicing resiliency yeah. uh, because your message is special from a standpoint of resiliency but also of self self-awareness and mm-hmm. and 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 being able to to share with with your life partner of Heather, but but how to live life, live the life that we've been given, and make the most out of that. So uh, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you persevering with these technical problems that yeah. we were having with the internet today. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if there was one one message, one thing that you would want to get out to any listener today, what what would be something you'd want to to get out there for anybody that may be listening regarding your story? Yeah, that, you know, no matter kind of what you're being told, like I mentioned before in a few different times, you know, listen to your body, listen to yourself. And then, you know, there's going to be obstacles in life, but, you know, try to persevere through them where you can. And just because you face an obstacle doesn't mean you can't overcome it. So um, I think my, my message and what I try to live my day like is, as that example is that, you know, I've, I've had a lot of hurdles, but I've cleared them so far. And my goal is continue to try to do that as long as I can. And that's, that's, that's the biggest thing. And then enjoy the life that you have because you only have one of them. So try to enjoy it to your fullest. Well, Brian, I definitely appreciate you coming on the show. I was talking to, uh, you know, one of my colleagues today and we were talking about reflecting back on, you know, seven months ago when, when all the unknowns were going on with COVID and not knowing what to do. And I, and I remember saying to myself, I, I can't, you being afraid anymore. I, I can't, I can't constantly be waiting for the next shoe to drop or, or whatever. I knew I had to take precautions. I knew I had to take, you know, set up systems to, to be cautious for my staff and my clients as well as myself and family. But I, but I couldn't do it with a sense of fear all the time. And, and it's interesting because that's exactly what I'm hearing you say is that even though some unexpected things have, have occurred in your life, that you have, uh, you haven't done it constantly afraid and constantly letting that fear control doing life. And, um, I'm, I'm grateful for you that the, the, you've had the transplant recipient, you know, the transplants, um, as well as being able to meet your life partner and have two beautiful, two beautiful boys. And, uh, I'm glad to hear you grateful to hear your story. Glad you were able to share it. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I'm glad we had a chance to talk.
All right, perfect. Brian, be safe and uh, uh, continue uh, hugging those uh, those two and having lunch for those two as well as as well as Heather. So yeah, we'll uh, do. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Yeah.